0: Church, we are in Matthew 12, as we go through this section of Matthew, and, and Matthew 12 is all about um, Christ's conflict with the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were the purity party of Israel who said, we are going to push against the Roman yoke and we are going to have all of these laws that we're going to layer around the law of Moses to show people that were really, really serious. And, and, and so those are the Pharisees. And Christ had ongoing disputes with, with the Pharisees um, because they were busy commending themselves to one another and trying to earn the favor of God. And so there's no place in their heart for the gospel of grace. More about that later. But, but commending themselves, earning the favor of God. That's what the Pharisees did. And, and so all of chapter 12 is about co- Christ's conflict with the Pharisees. And it comes kind of to a, an apogee, a, a crescendo, a climax in this passage. But he's talking, I think, to the Pharisees. You have to realize Pharisees, Pharisees. He's, he's, he's just said that all sins will be forgiven you except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is going to your death, denying that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, and God. And so he said, you can, you can be a, every sin can be forgiven except if you go to your death saying Jesus is not Lord, he's not God. He didn't die on the cross for my sins. And so, so if you're breathing, it's never too late. But there comes a point where it's over and eternity awaits. So, we come to this passage, it's a short paragraph in Matthew 12, it's in your worship guide, verses 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes out and and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. So so what what Christ is saying is this. He said said, "It it is possible Pharisees. Or anybody, but especially if you at the Pharisees. It is possible to have a self-reformation and, and to get rid of maybe substance abuse or, or being a getting rid of your licentious mind or whatever. Is possible to do that? And, and then to be caught up in, I have done this, and I am better, and I am, you become very arrogant, and I'm committing myself to you because I haven't said a curse word in five days, or I haven't had lustful thought in three hours, or whatever. And then you're trying to earn the favor of God. And if that happens, it's like a man who has one demon who leaves, goes in waterless places, gets seven of his buddies, and comes back to an orderly home and infests it, the, the reinfestation of the demonic. And why there are seven demons, I don't know. Seven's the number of perfection. Maybe Jesus is saying that there'll be a perf- perfect number of demons that will go in. And instead of one demon, you have eight. And then Jesus makes this astounding statement. I think, look at the Pharisees. And so your state is worse now than it was at the beginning. If you're given to contempt of others and arrogance and pride and one-upmanship— and, and, and you're proud of your sobriety, or you're proud of your whatever, he says, really, that that's worse than what you were doing in the first. It's an amazing passage. This passage is for us. I said it very strongly. This passage is for us in upper middle class America, where we think that you've got to just earn the favor of whoever God is. You've got to do that, and you want to have appearances, and you want to be seen as being with it and cool and hip and whatever it's an incredible passage he's saying there are graver evils pharisees than what you've been involved in the past the graver evils are arrogance and pride and one-upmanship thinking that you can earn your way in god's favor instead of one demon you got eight so when Christ is talking about the Pharisees, the kind of the, the text in the Bible about the Pharisees is Matthew 23. And he says, he says, you know, when the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat in the temple, we believe there's, a, there's literally a seat in the temple in those days where people would sit down and read from one of the first five books of the Old Testament. And so Christ says, when, when the Pharisees and scribes sit in Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Because they're reading the Bible from Moses' deceit. But not what they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They they, they don't practice. They preach, but they don't practice. So I'm going to give you some marks of a Pharisee and then take four principles from the text. So the first mark of a Pharisee, as we've seen, is that the Pharisees were offended by the gospel of grace. They couldn't hear the incredibly beautiful words of the last part of Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the Pharisees said, Stop. We're not weary and heavy laden. We have it together. We don't need somebody to do that. And we certainly don't need a yoke because we teach ourselves out of the law. And we add all these standards to the Scripture. So we are the teachers, and we are earning our way into God's presence. We're certainly not weary and heavy laden. We have it all together. So they, they were offended by the gospel of grace. And this is the one who says in Matthew 12, one greater than the temple walks among you. In other words, the temple worship is fulfilled in Jesus He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, one greater than the prophet Jonah walks among you. One greater than King Solomon walks among you. In other words, you look at this path. We're talking about Christ being our our prophet, priest, and king. He's the final and ultimate prophet. He is the one and only ultimate priest. And he is King Jesus. And that's why he's saying, I am the prophet, I am the priest, and I am the king. And they said, no. No. Because they were too busy earning the favor of God. There's a story in the Old Testament from 2 Kings. It's a very interesting story. It's about a general named Naaman. Naaman was the general of a huge kingdom named Syria. This is what it says in 2 Kings 5 in the Old Testament. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high Favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man. So it says he was a, a great man. He was a man of high favor, and he was a mighty man. But he had leprosy, a skin disease. But there was a little servant girl in his home who had been part of the booty of war, and and so. She says, if only my master, says her mistress, if only my master would go to Samaria or Israel and meet the prophet Elisha, he can heal him of his leprosy. And something was lost in the translation, so he goes to the king, and he says, can I go And to the king? And he says, go. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so this is the letter sent to the king of Israel. The king of Israel, Israel was a little kind of a backwashed nation. Syria was huge, huge. And the letter goes something like this, according to the Bible. Uh, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Close quote. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes, which means he was in sorrow and pain. He tore his clothes and, and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends me word to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. In other words, the king of Syria is doing this so he can pick a quarrel with me and come in and, and, and just wipe out my kingdom. But when Elisha the prophet, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And, 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 and Naaman had all the, had a ton of money, ton of clothes, all types of camels, all types of place, things to give to the guy who cured him of his disease. And so he heads towards Elisha's house and Elisha sends his servant out to meet him. Elisha's in the den watching ESPN. He can't be bothered, you know. And his servant goes out to meet him and he says, you know, I've got a word from my, my, my servant, the prophet Elisha, the man of God. He says, you need to go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you will be healed. This is Naaman. I mean, he's, he's a mighty man of valor. He's, he's a man of incredible riches. He, he is the man and he's ticked off. He says, he couldn't come and meet me. I have all this to give him. And Elisha says, I don't want any of your gifts. Just, just go do it. He says, he, he couldn't come greet me. And it says, in anger, he turned around and went back to Syria. This is what happens. But he had a very wise servant. And he, his name says, I, I thought that he would surely come out to meet me and stand and call upon the name of Jehovah, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He says, are are not these two rivers of Damascus much prettier than the Jordan River? Could not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. But he had a servant. Some servants came to him and said, you know, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it as he's actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little baby. He was clean. And he became a follower of the living God whose name is Jehovah and part of the covenant community. Now, I I read that and I think, you know, you'll never, ever, ever, ever get the gospel until you realize you can't earn your way into God's favor. You'll never get the gospel until you cry out loud, I am weary and heavy laden. You'll never get it. There's a poem that we celebrate in our culture. Many students have to memorize it by a guy named William, William Ernest Henley, and you know the poem. And, and William Ernest Henley had a, a rough life. He had uh, tuberculosis. He lost a leg. He had a wonderful child he loved, and the child died. And, and, and he was a very gifted man, but he wrote a, a poem entitled Invictus. And, and Invictus is a poem, really. Uh, it's the poem of the Pharisee. It's the poem of the Pharisee. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And then he says this It matters not how straight the gate, which the Bible, Jesus says, the gate is narrow. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, we memorized that poem, and we quote it with great favor, and it is the poem of a Pharisee. And if that's your poem, you will never, ever get the gospel of grace. This is the second point about the Pharisees is is that they loved appearances. Matthew 23 is the chapter I said earlier on on the Pharisees. Listen to these verses. This is verses 5 and 6. Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their, their phylacteries broad. Here's a phylactery. And I can pull it up. See, the phylactery is a leather box on your forehead that had Scripture in it or promises from God in it. And you carried it with you to show you're serious about the Scripture. And, and Jesus, I think, and, and being humorous, says they don't have these little boxes. They have these things here. It looks like, a, you know, a, a, a bumper on a car, basically. So they, they make their phylacteries uh, broad and their fringes, which symbolized prayer, their fringes were long, and, and they loved the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue, and greetings in the marketplaces. And they loved to be seen of men. Verse 27, chapter 23. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people 's bones. And all uncleanness, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and, and, and lawlessness. They, they loved appearances. They loved to be seen of men. Point three, very quickly. They, they always activated their inner lawyer. They always activated their inner lawyer, and they were filled with, with self-justification. In fact, maybe the most famous parable in the Bible, one of the two three famous, is in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus tells a parable of the tax collector and the publican or Pharisee. And he says this, he told a parable to some who trusted in themselves, you see, are in favor with God, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. In other words, when you are trusting in yourself and you look at yourself and you congratulate yourself, then you look with contempt on people who haven't risen to your lofty place of ascendancy. So a Pharisee, and this is, this is for us, church. A Pharisee always activates their inner lawyer. I, I do this. If I lose my temper and say something I shouldn't say, it's because my blood sugar's low, or it's because I haven't slept, or maybe I ate a hostess Twinkie and my blood sugar spiked and I'm out of control. When a family member or a friend loses their Control is because they're filled with rage and sin and the devil. You know what I mean? Now, I, I justify me, but man, I'm able to call them out. That's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was all about activating their inner lawyer. Fourthly, the Pharisees loved man created doctrines which made them comfortable. You see, they took the law of Moses and they layered it with. Regulation, 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 regulation. But all of those things they could accomplish. It it makes everybody a pain to be around, but but there's something they could do. In Matthew chapter uh, 15, Jesus talks about, he says, you you can't really hear me because you're giving yourself over to man-made laws. Listen, uh, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the Pharisees took the law of Moses and the Old Testament writings, and they they said, what we say is equal with the Scripture, and that's the death of any spirituality. When my traditions and my thoughts are equal to Scripture, even maybe better than Scripture, it it is the death of anything that, that remotely speaks of the reality of Christ, or the Trinitarian nature of God, or God's goodness in my life. So, so they, they loved these things. They said, these are things that I can do. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And as I do that, I'm going to tell you, I'm, doing, I'm going to commend myself to you, and I'm going to try to earn the favor of God. And the Scripture is all about telling us we can't do it. In Judaism that day, there were two schools represented by the teaching. There was a school called the Hillel School and the Shammai school. And one school was pretty liberal, and one school was pretty conservative. For example, in the issue of marriage, the Shammai school said the only reason you should ever divorce is if your spouse does something that is unconscionably horrible. And Jesus came down strongly with these guys. The Hillel school said, no, you can divorce your spouse, really your wife, because the husband did it. You can divorce your wife for some indecency, and that included burning the breakfast. Oh, you burnt my Pop-Tarts. You're out of here. Seriously. This, and, 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 and so, I'll I'm make I'm, I'm this PG-13. Try to. So, if you're part of the Hillel School, some of these Pharisees were, you say, well, the Bible says in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So, that intimacy is only for a man and a woman in marriage but wink, wink, nod, nod forget me too there's a lot of things a man can do with a young maiden without doing that it's a man's world and Jesus came along and said he said I tell you the Bible says don't commit adultery but if you look look at a woman with lust in your heart you've broken the commandment of God so Again, the Pharisees were all about, I can do this. It's kind of embarrassing. i tell you a little story. When I was a senior in college, um, I, I was taking Navy ROTC and I'd had this instructor and he was a battalion tech, so I knew him fairly well. And he he, he knew me and saw me do my stuff. And uh, so he called me into his office, second semester of my senior year, and he said, What are your plans for you to get I said, Well, I'm thinking about several things. Uh, Nothing definite yet. It was in January. He said, have you considered, uh, I've watched you, have you considered trying to be a Navy SEAL? And I went, I have not. And so I think, what's a Navy SEAL? And I said, "Uh, so tell me about it. So a Navy SEAL, and he described what a Navy SEAL did and, you know, special ops and they do this and they do that. And I thought, Whoa. I said, well, what's involved? And he says, he started telling me about the training. I mean, one, two sentences into the training regimen of a Navy SEAL. I was sitting there going, there's no way I'm going to do this. There's no way. I mean, I didn't say that out loud. I'm thinking, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. don't think so. You see, but the Pharisee said, I can do this. Example, you're part of an HOA. And they ask you to be part of the HOA defense team. And if you're part of the HOA, which means Home Owners Association, okay? Home Owners Association defense team, you get to wear a a shirt that says HOA defense team. You get a baseball cap that says HOA. And you go, wow, that's pretty cool. What's involved in being on the Home Owners Association defense team? You have to be able to turn on a flashlight, drive a car around the neighborhood, and dial 911. And you know what you're thinking? I can do that. I get a nifty T-shirt and a ball hat, and I'm part of a really elite group of, of warriors in the Homeowners Association offense team. I can do that. That's what the Pharisees did. They went around saying, I, 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 I can do that. As, as they made these man-made, man-centered doctrines that they could do which made them comfortable. Just, just a plea, a brief side road. I meant to put this in the worship God, but I gave The wrong. I've said Westminster Confession, chapter sixteen. It should be chapter twenty. Let me just read two or three sentences to you. This is about liberty of conscience and the authority of the Bible. So let me just read a couple things. This is from Westminster Confession. Just as a a, so, the Reformation started about fifteen seventeen ish. Westminster Confession is one hundred and thirty years later in England. It's a wonderful document. Just so good. Theology is so good. I just anyway. This is Article Twenty, and it says this. Listen, all, uh, all these things were common to believers under the law, uh, but under the New Testament, in the New Testament church. The liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law because the ceremonial law is fulfilled by Jesus on the cross to which the Jewish church was subjected and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace because of the cross. And in fuller communications of the freely given Holy Spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. In other words, in the Old, Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given occasionally to various believers, but in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is given universally to all believers in the resurrected reigning Jesus. Next, next little paragraph. Listen, God alone is the Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it. In matters of faith or worship. And in other words, because of the greatness of Christ, nothing trumps the scripture. So we walk under the authority of the Bible. And if we start kowtowing to, to cultural norms or Pharisaical standards that would have equal weight with the Bible, we have lost our way. So these Pharisees love man made rules that they could do. They love the Homeowner Association. They, had, they, they, knew, they said, I can't be a Navy SEAL, so I'll do the Homeowner Association defense team. Number five, they were zealous but had the wrong foundation. Again, Matthew 23, verse 15, Jesus says this, he says about their zeal, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you. You travel across uh, sea and land to make a single person your convert, and when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's a strong statement. In other words, you, you so confuse him and so turn upside down any concept of grace that he thinks he's got to earn the favor of God and he commends himself to other people. It's a horrible foundation. See, the, the, the Pharisees, listen, they were zealous. I hear people say frequently about them, well, they, 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 they're so sincere. Listen, if you start at the wrong place, you can't get right. If you start with the wrong foundation, you can't get right. There's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When well, I lived in Asia, I was uh, able to see this twice. It's a festival called Sam. It's a Hindu festival. It's just re really etched in my brain. But in, in the Hindu, this festival, you'd say, to a Hindu deity, if you allow me to pass my secondary exams and go to college in Singapore, then, then I will do Thai Pusam. Or if you allow my child to be healthy, then I'll go through Thai Pusam. Or if you allow me to find a, a spouse, I'll go through Thai Pusam. And Thai Pusam, they, they would take uh, rods as big as my index finger and plunge it through their cheeks. They'd take fish hooks and plunge into their skin with lemons hanging off the end. They would take things and put it in their back. And they, of course, they'd be heavily drug-induced in a stupor, and people would stand around and chant and they would do a kind of a dance around as they pulled the rods down uh, because it was, it was earning the favor of God or payback time. Listen, if you start at the wrong place, you can't get it right. Uh, every, Every time I'm out and I see these very zealous guys on bicycles with white shirts and a slender black tie And they're from the Mormon group, church, and they're on a two-year mission. And I think these are wonderful neighbors, and they're great patriotic Americans, and they make good senators. I think of Harry Reid, Mormon. I think of Mitt Romney, Mormon. I think of Mike Lee, Mormon. I mean, really fine men. But, But make no mistake about it, they're trying to earn the favor of God. There's no concept of grace. And, and so I'm telling you, if you start wrong, you cannot get it right. You start with Christ and him crucified. All right, now four quick points from the text. Number one, the house was not owned by God. We can be reasonably cleaned up and worse off now than at the beginning. So whilst worse off now than at the beginning. There's a couple of quotes here by C.S. Lewis from a book that I'll close with but Mere Christianity and he says this in this chapter on pride he says according to Christian teachers that the essential vice the utmost evil is pride unchastity or sexual immorality anger greed drunkenness and all of that are mere flea bites now you think about that I think he's right In comparison, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And pride is always one-upmanship, just looking down on people. And then he says the next quote, I'll just paraphrase it, that the the devil laughs at our desire to be brave or loyal. He's glad to let us be brave and loyal if he can just make us proud. It's like the devil is willing to see us cured of the common cold if he can give us incurable cancer. Now that's a strong statement. But but Jesus says the same thing here. The house was cleaned up but, but there's nothing there. So eight demons came in instead of one. So I look at this and I ask myself, I ask you, are you tasting the goodness of Christ in such a way that you are, 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 are desiring for Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Are you tasting the goodness of Christ? There's a couple of quotes here. A guy named John Owen, my favorite Puritan. Died in 1688, okay? He, he says this, just two quotes. The absence of Christ will indeed make it night, dark as darkness itself in the midst of all other glowing consolations." Now, if that's right, he says you can have success, and you can have health, and you can have this, you can have this. But if you, if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and you're not testing, testing the sweetness and the goodness of Christ, those other things have lost their allure. And then he says this. When a soul prays and meditates, searches in the, the, the promises of the Scripture in private, and, and when it with earnestness and diligence attend to all the ordinances of public worship or the Lord's Supper just to get a glimpse of the face of Jesus Christ, and this is done in vain, it is a sad condition. And I know it says you go through praying and reading and worship and and you just want to get a glimpse of the face of Jesus. But if you don't get it, it's just sad. And then I, I step back and I say, Am I tasting the goodness of Christ? Is the house of my life filled with worship and filled with the glory of Christ and filled with crying out, Holy Spirit, change me. Number two, the the Pharisees allowed arrogance to move in. Arrogance, one-upmanship, committing yourselves to one another, earning the favor of God. A friend told me this the other day, so I was with a guy, and we were laughing, and I told him, I said, you're a very kind, gracious person. And he said, listen, and they were driving down the road, and as they're driving down the road, as you said, that a bug hit the windshield. Splat. And he said, really, overstatement. He said, in reality, I am bug splatter on the windshield of life, but the Father loves me through Jesus. I thought, eh, that's pretty good. Pretty good, to be honest with you. See, the, the Pharisees were in love with earning the favor of God. They didn't get the gospel. This passage is for us. Your hearts are spring-loaded to think like a Pharisee. Number three, incredible statement, their final condition is worse than it was at the beginning. Yeah, you can get rid of substance abuse. Yeah, you can get rid of this, you can get rid of that. But I'm going replace it with emptiness and arrogance and one-upmanship. When I was a, a little boy, I went to church every Sunday, a non-Bible-believing church, filled with sweet people, didn't hear the gospel. But, but I, I was part of a system where every week you take something that looks like this, is your, is your offering envelope... And on the outside, you'd have all these boxes, and you'd have things like Bible brought, Bible read daily, offering brought, uh, you brought a friend, that type of thing. And you, you'd check it off. Boom, boom, boom. Put your name, to your teacher with great pride. I'm all for spiritual disciplines. I, I believe you should read the Bible every day, several times every day. I believe you should bring friends to church and, or bring friends in your life to share Christ with them. I believe in tithing. I believe in that stuff. But here's my problem. If you want to build a modern-day Pharisee, do that. Do that. I mean, I, I love disciplines, but, boy, it's all about grace. So I just, I, I've thought about that, and I've gone, and I, I, I don't, forgive me, I'm not a school teacher, but when I go into a classroom and I see all these names and I see nest, desk is neat, stand in line silently, Never move outside of my permission. All these things are for girls. You know, every one of them are for girls. Guys just get pummeled. If you're a young guy, you, get, you, you squirm all the time. You don't know what cleanliness is. You're, you're It's good that your pants are wrong when you get to school if you're a guy in the age third grade. And they're all for guys. Like girls, you know, I'm going, come on. But I see that and I see people go, star, 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 star. And I'm going, boy, you're building a Pharisee. Boy, you're building a Pharisee. That's meritocracy. Welcome to upper-class America. But it's the death of the gospel. Appearances. Let me just say this. Um, You've got to fight against this. This passage is for us. Um, I'm involved in something called Man to Man, and I've had a Man to Man table. For years now, but the one I had this past year just really loved the guys, and and I, I thought many times if you go in there and walk around the table, if you're new. You walk around the table and it says, what, "What? Tell me about what you do." The, several guys there were uh, having advanced degrees. Had a couple guys went to service academies. Um, the, the men there generally were, were successful. because we got to know each other, and let me just give you two or three exa- three examples. Uh, one man is sitting there, and, and, and uh, he's, he's a professional. He's, he's in healthcare, and um, uh, he's comes from a, a very difficult alcoholic background. Um, his family does, and he's dealt with cancer, a bad, really bad cancer, and the after effect of that, and dealt with older children. Just what comes to older children. And so, without knowing that, you just say, "Well, man, they, they got." He, he's and you go over here, and there's a guy sitting there who who's a very successful financial planner. And um, last year, we had multiple children. Last year, his wife walked in and said, I'm done. I'm done. And he said, Can we, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'm done. I'll do I'm done. And he'll come week after week and ask him how he's doing. And rarely a Friday goes by where he doesn't really weep. And he said, just pray. And here's a guy that's pursuing Christ in the midst of incredible pain, and I love him for it. There's this other guy there that's just a dear to me, dear, dear, dear to me. And he comes from, just to be around him, I think he's just got it all together. He comes from a very difficult home. He really never knew his daddy. He doesn't even know how many times his daddy's been married, you know. And, and, And yet, man, I love this guy. So just keep on going around the table. I mean, that's, that, that's just a few examples. And then, so you come in there and you say, man, these guys have it all together. No. Let me tell you, you, you're sitting here this morning, and this is what's difficult. I'm preaching on community next week. But you're sitting here this morning, you're, you're looking around, you're going, you know, I'm surrounded by people that they're, they're pretty good looking. Well, this side of the auditorium is good looking in here. This side, not so much. Okay. No, you say, they're pretty good looking, and they're successful. They look successful, and they look like they're okay, and every person here is broken. Every person here has issues. Every person in here understands there's a continuous and irreconcilable war in their being where the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and it's ongoing. Every person here desperately needs Jesus by the power of the spirit. So there's nobody here. It has it all together. Nobody, and there should be a chorus of amens, amens, amens everywhere, because it's true. So you fight against that. Fight fight against the Phariseeism that creeps into your spirit. Now, fourthly, very quickly, I'm finished. When you deal with this, there's no, the Bible says there's no true putting to death sin except by the cross. That's just what the Bible says. I mean, you can clean yourself up, but when you clean yourself up, you're going to probably fall into arrogance and pride and one-upmanship. And that's what happens here. I get this from the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, there are several streams fed into the problems in Colossae, but one of them was you've got to do this and do this and do that to be right with God. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And you've got to have these revelations to be really in sync with the being who is God. And so Paul just thunders forth. He he says this. He says, "Um, uh, do do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, have referring to the things that all perish with the use according to human precepts and traditions. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Asceticism is just denying yourself. So he said you can beat yourself. And, but, listen, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Wow, Paul. So, so I love discipline. Discipline's good. There's nothing wrong with discipline. But, but if you're just gritting it out with your teeth clenched to do this, that's we're really not going to do it he says I'm going to show you a better way chapter 3 verse 1 the very next verse if then you've been raised with Christ seek the things that are above not where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on the things that are above not on earthly things for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God, when Christ, who is, your life, appears, and you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul says, if you really want to walk in freedom and you want to put sin to death, you be a worshiper who's broken and who's hungry and desperate for the touch of God. And you lay yourself out and you say, God, I, I plead with you to give me the Holy Spirit. I plead with you to change my inclinations and my passions and where I go. I plead that you take away the, the silliness of upper middle class America that deals with how many stars you have on your chart. Or how many pairs of shoes you have in your closet. Or how many guns you have in your hunting case. Or what my handicap is. or what my t- May I be done with that? I need you. So listen, church, this passage is for America. Let me read. I'll close with this. This is just from mere Christianity. This book's falling apart because I got it when I was 22 years old. I can't part with it because I've got an underlined. Now, this is going to be a paragraph, but listen, this is really good stuff. And we're, we're closed with this. Lewis says The point is this God wants you to know Him, He wants to give you Himself. And God and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will, in fact, be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief, relief of having once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. This is so. This is just bad. He is trying to make you humble in order to make this very moment possible. Trying to shake off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we have all got ourselves up and are strutting about like the little idiots we are. And that's the strong statement. But, okay. I I wish, Lewis says, I I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had. I could probably tell you more about the relief and the comfort of taking off the fancy dress up clothes and getting rid of the false self with all of its, look at me and aren't I a good boy? And all its posing and posturing. Listen to this last sentence. To get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. (laughs) To, To get even near it for a moment is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. Thanks be to God for the glory of the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God that we don't have to earn our favor. It's been accomplished for us on the cross. Thanks be to God that we don't have to commend ourselves to one another because we're fully accepted in the reality of all that Jesus is. That is a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and uh, thank you for this that you've preserved these really acrimonious dialogues between yourself, Almighty Christ, and the Pharisees for our benefit. And we acknowledge that we live in a culture of meritocracy. We live in a culture where we put stars on our bulletin board and check off boxes. And God, there's nothing wrong with discipline. We thank you for discipline. There's nothing wrong with striving to be a, a person of dignity and worth. But God, for... Bid that we should ever base our worth and our acceptance on the stars on our board or the checks in our boxes. So thank you for the cross. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.